0: Uh, before we get to our sermon today, I'm going to actually invite Susan Sperry to come up. Susan is one of the new members of our leadership team. And every once in a while on a Sunday, we like to take a few minutes and just hear a little bit about what God is doing in different uh, uh, the lives of the members of our church. And, uh, and Susan has kind of a, a very different sort of unique uh, job. Uh, I had the opportunity maybe two weeks ago or so to actually get to visit her work and learn a little bit more about what she does. And it seemed like the sort of thing that our church that you all need to hear about and need to know about. So um, listen to her, listen to kind of what God is doing uh, through her ministry, and then that's going to lead us right into today's message.
1: Thank you. I work with an organization called World Relief, and World Relief is an international organization doing relief and development work around the world. And in the United States, uh, we work with um, three primary areas— and that's immigration legal services, refugee resettlement, and anti-trafficking education and awareness. And throughout all that World Relief does, our mission is to empower local churches to serve the most vulnerable. Uh, We are excited to see uh, God at work through His church, through His body, and truly believe that that is um, God's instrument to reaching the world. And what we do through the services we provide is equip the church to be able to reach out to, um, to people in very practical and tangible ways. The verse you see on the screen is a verse that has come to mean a lot to me as we work in the United States with a lot of migration, uh, people entering our country. And this says, from one man, God made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them. In the exact places where they should live. God did this so men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. And we see examples of this every day through our work, and I'm going to share a couple of those in just a few minutes. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about one area that we work with at World Relief, um, one program area, and that's refugee resettlement. And on the next slide, um, you'll see a little bit about who refugees are, Uh, Refugees are individuals who have fled persecution in their own countries uh, for reasons of their race, their religion, their political opinion, maybe membership in a particular social group. And they can't go back. It's unsafe. Their lives are in danger. And many refugees wait anywhere from one to two years for resolution, either for peace in their home country or for a new place to live. Some refugees wait as long as 20 or 30 years in refugee camps or living illegally in another country. Um, The U.S. every year invites a small number of refugees to begin their lives here in the States uh, legally and basically gives them permission to work and begin rebuilding here. And World Relief is an organization that um, mobilizes local churches and then provides some services so that refugees can get a good start in our country. Uh, Amy, who's visiting today, used to intern with World Relief. So after the service, either her or myself would be glad to tell you a little bit more about what we do. I want uh, currently, and on the next three slides, you'll see a little bit about uh, some of the places that refugees are coming from right now: um, Iraq and Burma, or Myanmar, and a small country near Nepal called Bhutan. And there's a little bit of information on these slides about the situation that's going on and why refugees are coming from these countries. But I want to share a couple of stories about how we're seeing the church locally get involved. And as I have thought about these stories, what has struck me is the fact that God is at work in ordinary people to change lives. Um, He's at work through people like you and me going about our everyday business, and in doing so, he's making massive impact and drawing people to himself. Um, So with the Iraqi slide, uh, about two months ago, World Relief resettled a family um, who had fled Iraq and had been living in Jordan. And we partnered with a local church from West Chicago who picked the family up at the airport, and had a meal ready for them. They had collected items for this family's home, um, and that church had committed to walk beside them in friendship for their first six months in the country, take them to the grocery store, help them understand the culture, and really build a friendship. The church came to find out that before the family left Jordan, they had been taken to dinner and then driven to the airport by a missionary family from the same church. Not a prearranged thing at all. Um, And how cool is God? This family said, hey, we met your church before we left Jordan, and your church was here picking us up at the airport when we reached America. And now this family, um, who is not Christian, is going to a Bible study at this church. How great is God? Another story that has really impacted me is um, a teenage girl, a 15-year-old girl uh, from Burma, and she lives in an apartment complex with people from literally all over the world. She'd been in the United States maybe a couple of years, and her family participated in a, in a Bible study held in their complex. One day she went and invited her new neighbors who were from Bhutan, which is the next slide. Uh, they speak a different language. Um, she invited the adults hey, come to my Bible study, and they did, and the family from Bhutan who speak Nepali didn't understand what was being said. The Bible study was in Burmese and in English, but they went anyways, and after a couple weeks, they told the leader, hey, we want this Bible study in our language. Can you do it? And two months later, the first church Nepali-speaking church among the Bhutanese was started in the western suburbs of Chicago, and this um, people group was, is pre- currently still known as an unreached people group um, who is known for not knowing Jesus. Uh, today, there's three churches that exist among the Bhutanese. And that's all through the obedience and the courage of a 15-year-old girl who just invited her neighbor of another language to come to Bible study. And I think, wow, if she can do that, what can I do? What can all of us do just in our everyday lives being faithful to what God has called us to be? So, of course, I would be more than happy to talk with any of you who want to learn more about uh, World Relief and the programs we have. Uh, There's a lot of uh, anti-trafficking awareness raising going on in our church that myself or Jennifer or Alicia would love to talk with you more about um, but more than anything, I hope you're encouraged that wherever you're at, God is at work through us and is using us to impact those around us.
0: Thank you guys, there, thank you very much. Um, we, there, there's so many different things happening through our church, uh, through those who make up our church, and, and frankly, it's just too much for all of us to do all of those things, uh, There's certain things that we need to discern and choose to focus on together, but that doesn't mean that we can't hear these kinds of very important stories and, and, and trust that the Holy Spirit is speaking to some of you to learn more about World Relief, more about Susan's uh, work and ministry and how God may be calling you uh, to be involved uh, in this very, very important ministry. So let's pray together. God, we thank you for Susan, for her life, for her uh, ministry. Thank you for these stories today. Thank you that Over and over again, we see that you work in the most surprising ways, that over and over again in the midst of pain and suffering, in the midst of what seems like um, surely something that must be out of your plan, out of your will, uh, it's in these places that you act, that you redeem, that you heal, that you rescue. And so we thank you for these stories today. If there are those in our church who you're calling to participate in this sort of a work, uh, give them courage to take the next step, we pray. And now as we open your word today, Lord, uh, speak to us, Holy Spirit. Um, we, trust that you, um, we trust that you have something life-giving for us from your word today. So uh, open us up to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to try to move quickly this morning. We're in the third week of a six-week sermon series called "Making a Difference." We're looking at stories like Susan's and seeing the way that God empowers and calls us as His people to make a difference in the world to build for the kingdom of God. Um, more specifically, we're looking at the convictions, the beliefs that inform our action in the world; those things that we hold in common with our larger denominational family, the Evangelical Covenant Church, and and frankly with. The church around the world. So we've looked so far at the centrality of the word of God, the necessity of the new birth. And this morning, we're looking at our commitment to the whole mission of the church. Our commitment to the whole mission of the church. Now, what do we mean when we say whole mission? Well, we caught a glimpse of it here this morning with both uh, Susan uh, and Emily sharing with us. We see both the importance of our words and our actions what we say, and what we do. So the first sermon that we see preached in the Bible comes in chapter 2 of Acts, just a little bit after Jesus ascends and pours out the Holy Spirit, the day of Pentecost. People begin wondering what's happening, why it is that these men, these disciples, are now bold, are now speaking in other languages. And Peter, in the very first sermon ever given, in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, says, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. These are words proclaiming the gospel, explaining the gospel. Peter says, this is what you're seeing. This is what you're experiencing. It's the result of Jesus being Lord, being Messiah. This is why Q Place is important. Because it's a time set aside to learn how to be intentional with our words about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done in our lives. But then we see in Susan's story the example of why our actions matter, why our obedience to God matters, why how we pursue God's justice in the world matters. And so James, in James chapter 2, one of the early disciples, he says, I will show you my faith by what I do. It's not either or, it's not words or actions, it's not proclamation or our deeds, it's both. The whole mission of the church is what comes out of our mouth and how we live our lives. Every church is called to the whole mission of God. Every member, every Christian is called to participate in the whole mission of God with our words and our actions. God's mission of restoring, reclaiming all things in Jesus. It's a mission that requires us to proclaim, to explain, to witness to what God has done through Jesus and to show it to give evidence to it in our lives. So why don't we simply say that we're committed to the mission of the church? Why do we say the whole mission? It's because we tend to lean one way or the other. We tend to lean towards words or we lean towards actions. Some of us, it's just easier for us to talk about Jesus than it is to to live as if we actually believe in Jesus. And for others of us, it's the other way. Things like justice really matter to us, and yet we would be very reticent to actually say anything about Jesus. And so we say the whole mission of the church, because it is all of this that matters to us, what we say and what we do. How do we avoid this pendulum swinging? My guess is if we took a poll, every single one of us today would fall somewhere on the spectrum, either towards, I'm, I like sharing, I'm good talking about Jesus, to I, I live it out. That's what seems most important to me. How do we avoid this pendulum? How do we experience and participate in the whole mission of the church? If the mission is to both proclaim the gospel of the kingdom and to demonstrate that gospel, how do we hold it together? Closer to home for our church, we believe that it is our authentic and reconciling community across old lines of division that will demonstrate the gospel. Again, both through our words and through our actions. How do we as a church be sure that we're doing both of these things? Or how about you as an individual? How do you ensure that as a member of Christ's body, as a representative, as an ambassador, as Paul says, you ensure that your life is contributing to God's mission in both word and deed? One of our grounding, guiding passages as a church is Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. We actually use the imagery from this text in our mission statement. The context here is that Jesus has begun his ministry. He's called some of his disciples and he's launching into his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. He's perched up on a hillside, kind of out in the wilderness of Galilee. And his disciples are there in front of him. And then the the crowd is is surrounding, listening in to Jesus's words to his disciples. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, for many of us, this is a very common passage. This is one that I have preached from before. You have likely studied this in your community group, so it can be very, very familiar to us. But there's one word here. And it's an obvious word, but it's a word that I think can escape our attention. Light. Say light. Light. This is how the passage begins. You are the light of the world. Now, that may not necessarily catch your attention or my attention, this word. It's a word that you and I use all the time. But remember who Jesus is talking to. These are Jewish disciples. This is a Jewish crowd. And for them, there are at least two things that get triggered when Jesus says, you are the light of the world. The first thing is that God is light. Beginning in Genesis, at the very beginning of the Bible, the very beginning of the Hebrew scriptures, Genesis 1 through 5, we read this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. The darkness was over the surfaces of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over these waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Is there anything about this passage that strikes you as odd? Anything that doesn't seem to fit? The the ancient Jewish rabbis, they would have these debates. How is it possible, they ask, for there to be light on the first day when God doesn't create the sun or the moon until the fourth day? How does God separate light from darkness when there is no, no sun, there's no moon until the fourth day? And the way that they answered this I think, brilliantly, is that God himself is light. There needs there need not be a sun or a moon because God himself is light. Now, this is not something they're just making up. They're pulling, of course, from the scriptures in Psalm 104. The poet tells us that the Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. We see this throughout the scriptures that God is associated with light, so, when Jesus looks at his disciples and says, You are the light of the world, the first thing that the crowd, the disciples hear is, But God is light. God is the source of all light. The second thing that they think of, these Jewish women and men, is their own calling, their own vocation, their own mission to be people of light. God is light, yes, but they too were to be people of light. The prophet Isaiah, speaking on behalf of God in chapter 42, says, I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. So it's not just that God is light. It's that God has called out of people, the Israelites, to be God's light to the world. This is what we see when God comes to Abraham to first form this family, this people. God says, I will bless you so that you can be a blessing to the world. I will pour out my glory into the temple so that the glory can cover the earth. I, the God of light, am calling you now to be a light to the world, to show the world what I am light, to invite the world back into relationship with me so the people hear Jesus and they hear a God of light, but they also hear their own calling to be a people of light. And more specifically, they remember their own failure to be, to live as that people. Rather than showing the world what it looked like to worship God, they had turned to the world's idols. Rather than existing as a city on a hill, they had turned in on themselves, becoming exclusive and even nationalistic. And these now are a people who live under occupation. Rome is in charge of their lives. They have a memory of exile, of being conquered and brought into exile over and over again. The prophet's saying, if you don't turn back, if you don't reclaim what God has called you to be about, this is what will happen. And this is the memory they carry. Our God is a God of light. We were to be a people of light and yet look around us. We are an occupied people, an oppressed people. We have forsaken our calling to be a people of light. You see, when Jesus says this very simple phrase, you are the light of the world, he's tapping into a very deep and a troubled memory. On the one hand, God alone is light. Everything beautiful, everything righteous, everything good, everything just originates with God. And yet on the other hand, They are reminded of their own failure to live up to their calling, to live as God's agents in the world, to be a people through whom God blesses the world. Now, unlike the crowd on that day on that hillside, most of us, I don't think, have a very long Jewish memory. But like that crowd, I think we can relate to their ambivalence hearing Jesus' words. Jesus is saying that we, you, you, and me, that we are the light of the world. Has he seen our lives? Does he really mean that? Does he know what he has to work with? We are the light of the world? Really? How is it that you and I are the light of the world? John. Chapter 1, verses 4 through 5, and then again in 9, hearkening back to language in Genesis, the disciple John says, In him, in Jesus, was life. And that life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then jumping to verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. The one who created light, the one who separated light from darkness, the one who is himself light, John says, has come into a world of darkness. The one who is the source of all light, of all that is good, of all that is right, of all that is beautiful, of all that is just, this same one would be lifted up on a cross as a city on a hill so that the darkness would never again overwhelm us. Amen? Amen. Later in the Gospel of John, Jesus says in chapter 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I am the light of the world. Now we're good with that, right? God is light. Great. Jesus goes on. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's not simply that Jesus brings light into a dark world, church. According to him, according to Jesus, it is now through us, through us, through us, that his light will cut through the shadows of this world. How? How is this possible? How is it that we are the light of the world? We are the light of the world because, as Paul says in Colossians, God rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Church, we are the light of the world. We are the light of the world. We are a city on a hill because the God of light has rescued us, has transformed us, and is abiding with us. This is how Jesus can look at his disciples and say, you are the light of the world. Because of what Jesus will do in and through them. So this brings us back to our our original question. How is it that we, as New Community Covenant Church, as all of us who make this place up, how is it that we pursue God's whole mission? not leaning one way or the other, not neglecting any of God's mission in this world. How do we pursue that? What we see in Jesus's language in his call to be the light of the world is that mission is less about what we do and way more about who we are. Mission doesn't begin with words or with actions, with justice or with evangelism. Mission begins with our identity. An illuminated city on a hill in Jesus' day provided a critical point of navigation. When everything else was dark, if you could see the city on a hill, you knew which way to go. That same city on a hill provided safety for those within its walls. It provided hope for even those outside of its walls who fell underneath the light that it shone into the darkness. But understand very clearly that navigation, that safety and hope, all of these things are simply results of the light. They're the results of the light. The source of the benefits is the light itself. Without the light, there is no navigation. There is no safety. There is no hope. And so it is with us as well. Our identity as people of life is what drives our words and our action, our proclamation and our service, our evangelism and our justice. To put it differently, mission isn't just what we do. It's who we are. We are committed to the whole mission of the church, word and deed, because of who in Jesus we are. Amen. Amen. So how how do we do this? I'm tempted to stop right here, and I I, I almost did. Some of you would be happy if I stopped right here. I'm not going to stop right here. I was tempted to stop right here, though, because I mean, this is good, right? Like. Mission is about what God has done for us. The God of light has made us people of light. We live out of our identity as people of light to both proclaim and serve. But here's what's true. Every one of us has those things that compete for our identity. There are distractions, there are doubts, there are deceptions, all that aim to keep us from living out of who God says that we are. Richard Rohr, an author, he puts it this way. He says, the morning glories and the sunflowers turn naturally towards the light. The morning glories and the sunflowers turn naturally towards the light, but we have to be taught, it seems. You hear that? So the flowers, they know just to turn to the light. I have this problem in my little backyard. I have all of these, uh, 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 um, what are they called? The orange flowers, the tall orange flowers. They're not sunflowers. Daylilies, that's the one. And, uh, and, and, and they're up against the house, and so they're all leaning forward right into the sun, so much that they're about to fall over, right? But they just, they just do it instinctively. They turn towards the light. And Richard Rohr says, we, though, we have to be taught to turn towards the light. We know maybe what our identity is, what God has done in us, and yet we have these things that compete, distractions, doubts, deceptions. And so we have to ask, how do we learn to turn to the light? I have very, uh, three very, very simple thoughts about this. Um, in fact, let me just go ahead and invite the worship team uh, to go ahead and come back on up. Three ways, church, that we can grow into who God says that we are people of light. Three ways that you and I, that we together as a church, can purposefully pursue God's entire mission. The first is this. Ask. Say ask. This is real complicated stuff. The first thing that we can do to live into who God says we are as people of light, the first thing that we can do to live into God's whole mission is to simply ask God to show us how to pursue his mission in the world. I know that seems like real remedial and real simple, but can I ask you, when was the last time you asked God to show you what God wants you to be about in this world? When was the last time that you asked God, show me how you want me to participate with you in your mission of restoring, recreating, rescuing all things? How do you want me to participate? When was the last time you asked that question? The thing is, if you ask that question, you actually need to um, listen for his answer. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago when it comes to reading the scriptures. Many of us are so busy, we just kind of sit down, we just read real fast and then move on to the next thing. Do you have time, do you have space to hear the voice of God in your life? When you ask that God shows you how to participate specifically with him in his mission. Do you have place and space in your life to hear him respond to you as you open up the scriptures, as you sit in community together, as you attune your ear to the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life? Do you have time and space to hear? What opportunities is God giving you to put words to the good news that light has come into the world and will not be overcome by darkness? What ways is he calling you to build for the kingdom of God to pursue justice and mercy in this world? So we ask, and then we listen. When our our church was starting, before we ever had worship services, uh, a few of us were, a number of us were at at a church up in Logan Square that was going to send us to start this church. And monthly, before the service up there on the north side, we would gather together and we would pray. And we would just pray that, that, that God would be showing us what he wanted to do, what his plan and purposes were for this church. We prayed about specific things, but we, um, we prayed mostly that God would lead us. And we, we did our best to listen. And one of the things that we began hearing as we prayed together over the course of months and about a year, was that this church would be a church that loved and cared for young people in our neighborhood. And and this was surprising because we didn't have any young people in our church. Right, Daniel? None. None. Zero. We had little, little itty bitty people. But we we had no youth. We just started listening to God. So the first thing that we do is that we ask. Ask that God will show you. Ask that God will show you. God, how do you want me to live out of my identity as one you have transformed, as one you have brought into the light? How do you want me to live out of this place and participate with you in your mission? Here's the second thing. Take one step. Told you, I'm, real simple. Ask, take one step. You see, when we ask God to show us, God is going to show us. He may not show you what you think you're going to find, but he will show you. He will show you how he's inviting you into mission with words, with deeds, how he's inviting you to participate in the work of God in your school, in your neighborhood, in your home. He will show you. And then the question is, so what do I do now? God has begun to speak. I'm beginning to see how I, how my life matters, how I can participate with God. Now what? you know that when God calls us to mission, he usually only reveals just the next step. Anybody know that? Raise your hand if you've experienced that. God calls you somewhere and all you can see is just the next step. It's frustrating. It's very frustrating. Most of us, we want to know the whole deal, right? Like, okay, God, so you're calling me. So show me the whole thing, start to finish. How's this thing going to end? And God says, I'm going to show you that. God says, my word will be for you as a light, as a light where? Unto your feet. (laughs) Not the whole path, not the whole story, not your whole life, just right there. God comes to the Israelites and says, don't worry, I'm going to provide for all of your needs. I'm going to give you food every single day. I'm going to give you manna, but only take enough for today. And then wake up and I will give you enough for tomorrow. So, 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 so God calls us and God begins to reveal how it is that we can live lives of purpose and mission. But very often then God only reveals to us the next step. And we want the whole story. We want more of it. Or at least we think we do. How many of you in hindsight in your life can look back and say, God, if you would have shown me the whole thing, I never would have said yes. Anybody? Yeah. Can I tell you, I would not be a pastor today if I knew what being a pastor was about. I wouldn't. I wouldn't do anything else with my life at this point. But if God had shown me the whole thing, I would have "Mm, mm, said, I'm going to sell cars or something. I'm going to do something else. We think we want the whole story, but the reality is, is God just gives us enough to take the next step. And so what's the next step in front of you? What's the thing? What's the one specific thing that's right in front of you? The phone call, the email, the organization to look into, the friend to invite over for dinner. What is just that one thing? That's enough. It doesn't have to be anything more than that. What is the one step that God is calling you to take? Let me ask you, if the Holy Spirit reveals to you the next step, are you willing to take it? Are you willing to take it? So as our church is praying about youth, something we weren't really planning on praying about, but now we're praying about it because it seems like God is speaking to us about youth. I think, well, what's the next step? So well, let's we'll start a youth group. We don't really know how to start a youth group. That doesn't matter. We don't really have any youth. It's okay. Start a youth group. So people like, like Daniel, like Sonia, Like Jeannie, like Dawn, others of you, you you, you said, yes, That we'll try this. We'll start this. We'll see what happens. We'll take this one step. And here's the final thing. We ask, we take a step, and then we remain faithful. Say faithful. Faithful. We ask that God would show us we take one step and then we remain faithful. Do you think it will be easy once God speaks to you about what the next step will be? Do you think it'll be easy once you take a first step and then the second step and then the third step? I was thinking about this. Even this morning, as I was thinking about the sermon. I cannot think of anybody in the Bible who was called by God to take a step who had it easy. I really, I couldn't come up with anybody. Correct me if I'm wrong. Email me if you can think of anybody. But it seems to me that every single person who who, who God spoke to and said, here's the next step, here's the next step, here's the next step. It seems to me that every single person encountered hostility, obstacles, got tired, got frustrated. Moses is called to liberate his people, and he finds his leadership is tested, undermined, and mocked. David is called to be the next king, and he's chased into exile by the current king. Esther becomes the queen, the queen, only to find that she's got to forfeit her life to save her people. Mary bears the son of God only to watch him crucified. This is why faithfulness is so important. As we started our youth ministry, there'd be some Sundays where five, six kids would come. There'd be other Sundays when... Nobody would come. And we began to wonder, is this right? Should we be doing this? Did we hear correctly? Do we keep doing this? There were times when we wondered, do we need to shut this thing down? Some of you wondered, should we, should we allocate our resources into different places? Should we, should we not be doing a youth ministry so that we can do better at different areas of ministry? At about the same time, I went to a church planners training. Uh... After we'd already planted our church. And if, if you're ever going to plant a church, go to the training first and then plant the church. That's a much better idea. And, I, and I'm sitting in this one session and this, and this guy who's planted a church, he says, here's the way to grow a church really fast. Start an amazing children's ministry. Just, just pour all your money into children's ministry. Do tons of advertising. Do tons of fun games. And, you know, like, like make it look like Disney World. Oh. He said, because... Who wants to go to church? Well, it's people who start having kids who haven't been at church. like, oh, we should go to church because our kids should, you know. So if you have an awesome children's ministry, then you grow your church really fast. And I'm like, oh, we're starting a youth ministry right now. That's not how you're supposed to do it. So I come back from that and having conversations. Do we hear you, God? Is this what you've called us to be about? Do we remain faithful to this? God desires our faithful. God's mission advances through our faithfulness. God's mission does not advance through your strengths. God's mission doesn't advance through your talents, through your gifts. God's mission advances through your faithfulness. Jesus tells the story of the different men who are given different talents, different resources by the boss to invest in different ways. The point is not who had more talents than somebody else. The point is, what did you do with what you were given? Were you faithful with what you were given? And this is the question for us. Will we be faithful? When God speaks to us, when we take a step, will we be faithful? Some of you are ready to quit. Whatever the thing is that God has called you to, you're ready to be done. Because it's gotten really hard. Or you face serious opposition. It's taxing you. It feels burdensome. You're tired. You're worn out. You're ready to be be done. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody? The question is, will we be faithful? Paul in 1 Thessalonians, he says, he says, the one who has called you to this, the one who spoke to you about what your life is about, the one who rescued you from darkness into life, that one, Paul says, is faithful. And he will do it. He will do it. He will do it. It's not just that we are called the faithfulness, it's that it's God is faithful to us. On Thursday, I want to show you this picture. On Thursday, um, Kalia, is Kalia here She's with the kids? Kalia is, um, can you turn off those spotlights, please, Kelly? Uh, Kalia works with Young Life. And one of the ways that we were discerning together as a church of how we continue being faithful to what God has called us to is that we would begin partnering with Young Life. And a, a, an organization, a mission organization here on the south side is that is looking to reach students in high schools who, who probably are never going to show up to a church, not anytime soon. And Young Life goes into the high schools. They, they, they meet these students. They form relationships with them. They, sh- they share the gospel with them. They invite them to these amazing summer camps. And so we said it seems to us that God wants us to partner with Young Life. So we're going to do the discipleship aspect here on Sundays. So those kids who come to Christ through the ministry of Young Life now are coming to our church on Sundays to be discipled on Sunday morning. Well, on, on Thursday, Kalia had kind of this end-of-the-year barbecue. And, uh, and and through this partnership between us, between our church, between you and Young Life, the word is kind of starting to get out in Bronzeville that there are people, that there's this multi-ethnic church, that there's this organization that loves young people, that cares deeply for young people. And so what you see in this picture are like 60 kids who walked over from a mentoring program these are not kids from another church when, when when i polled these kids there's like two of them that are that are in church right now they walked over from a mentoring program to participate in this picnic that young life was doing with your support with the support of our church to learn more about this ministry to interact with different uh, ones from the church from young life from different students who are involved in that ministry that's a lot of people would you agree Daniel, that's a lot of kids. Would you agree? Now, here's the thing. Are they all going to come to our church? I don't know. I don't care. But God is faithful. Amen. God is faithful. When we were standing around a cross that looked kind of like that, Renee, you remember that before we started up in Logan Square, a few of us standing around the cross praying, God, show us what it is that you want us to be about. Youth. Are you hearing youth? Something about youth. I don't think any of us, any of us would have thought that picture. Thought that there would be 60 to 70 kids in our neighborhood who don't know Christ, who aren't in a church, who we are now participating with, getting to know, that we are investing in their lives. I don't think any of us would have imagined that. Or maybe it was just me. Maybe I'm the one who didn't have enough faith. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. God invited you into something. God spoke something to you about what you are going to do with your life. On your, in your neighborhood, in your school, in your home, with your family, in your marriage. God spoke to you something that you are going to be about. A way that God's mission will advance in our world. Don't quit now. Be faithful. Be faithful. Keep showing up. Keep praying. Keep investing. And God will be faithful to you. Amen? Here's the last thing I want to say. When Jesus looks at his disciples, he says, You are the light of the world. That's not necessarily a commandment, that's a promise. Light doesn't get to choose to be light, it's just light. It doesn't get to choose to shine out into the darkness, it just does. A commandment for you and I to be light. It's a promise that in Jesus we are the light of the world. So hear that today, church. You, we are the light of the world through which God's mission, word and deed, is advancing in our world. And so, God, we we uh, we ask that. That the competing identities would fade away, at least for this moment. That those things that say, no, you are this. No, this is what really matters in your life. No, this is really who you are. No, you are defined by this past, by this history, by this sin, by this addiction. Holy Spirit, quiet those voices now and let us hear. Let us hear. That we are the light of the world. Not through our own strength through our own power, not through our own wisdom, but because in Jesus the darkness has been overcome. In Jesus, sin, evil, and death has been defeated. Speak to us about who we are and begin speaking to us about how we live out of our identities as your children. Bring a new word this morning to those who haven't yet asked you, how can I participate with you? Bring a new word this morning. Give the courage to take the next step as you are revealing what it is. Give us the courage not to need to know how the story ends, but to take just the next step. And find us faith. God, who has been and will always be faithful to us, find us faithful to the mission that you have called us to. Whatever it feels like right now, however hopeful or hopeless we feel, however energized or tired we feel, find us faithful, God. Help us to not quit. Give us a new vision of what you're doing in our world. And thank you, Lord Jesus, finally, thank you for inviting us into such a life that we have not been saved to sit on the sideline waiting for something, that we have been saved to participate in the very heart of what you are doing in your world. Thank you, Lord, for lives that matter. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Out, Lord, my
1: soul out.
0: On the first day God separates the darkness from light. And then at that moment when it seems that darkness is going to win, the darkness will triumph, that the world will be overtaken. Christ, the light of the world, once again, once again, separates the light from the darkness. The light has come into the world and the darkness has not overcome it. Amen. 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 I'm going to ask you just to stay immediately after the service. Just come forward. Parents, grab your, your kids, and uh, you can bring them back, and we'll do our very quick facility update. Uh, you're going to hear from Jason, who's been leading Facility Search and our leadership team, and uh, we'll be as, as quick as we can about that. Uh, we're going to leave our uh, registration table up for the retreat so that after our meeting, you can register for the retreat. Receive the benediction now. Church, now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you without blemish before the presence of his glory with rejoicing to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, be majesty, be dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. Go in peace.